All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman. On this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network. How you doing, Rich? Good, man. A couple weeks away still. Not not too much going on. Yeah, this this to me is, is, I know a lot of people love this time of year because of football. This to me is a tough time of year because it's starting to get colder, especially at night. Like, nights and mornings are getting colder, but I also don't have basketball. Like, I, I swear basketball is the one thing that sort of gets me through the winter. And right now it's just dragging into fall without the basketball. And I'm not a huge fan of the next uh, next couple of weeks, but we will we will get through it. Have you First been watching any problem. of the FIBA World Cup? A little bit, like very little bit. Um, just occasionally, almost in the background. But on the one hand, while I want basketball, I also want to enjoy my last few weeks of free time. So it's been a a little bit of a you know a mixed bag there. I gotta say, I I just I don't love FIBA basketball. No, it it's too choppy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I sometimes get really into it, and other years I do not. Um, and I think from covering the team full-time, I actually get into it as a fan a little bit less. Um, I'll go back and I'll watch all of Furcon's games, and I will do the work there. But it's just, like I said, at this time of year, I sort of want to get the last few weeks of my relative downtime and, and get, really at this point, it's not even about like going on vacation or, or doing fun activities. It's, um, you know, it's getting all of my random shit done before we... uh. We really get into it. Moving on to FIBA, since you brought it up, the Sixers do have one player currently competing. Just one, though. In the FIBA World Cup. Yeah, thought there might have been another one in Tobias, but he backed out. You, you know what, though? I was looking at the Sixers site, and I was kind of thinking about how far we've come. And back four or five years ago, when Dario was playing and the Sixers were terrible, they were this promoting the hell out of this viewing. thing. Yep. And it was obviously there was a lot of fan interest, and now they just have a little thing on their site that says, "Hey, here's where you can watch Furkan play." Yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, Dario was one of the primary things to get excited about. Now we spend our summers with Instagram shooting videos instead. It has become a yearly tradition, but FIBA is not quite up there, uh, and also Furkan is not quite the prospect Dario was, and we aren't invested in him. So let's still. By the way, even though he's not the prospect and you're not invested in him, we are going to spend the next couple of minutes talking about him. So, Rich, you recently wrote about this for TheAthletic.com. As always, go subscribe, go check it out, TheAthletic.com slash Philly. But what have your initial impressions been of Verkan, the way he's played, the way he's looked, and whether or not any of that can really carry over into the uh, into the NBA season? So I, I'll preface this by saying I have no idea if this can carry over to the NBA season. I think... You know, when you write about Furkan in a positive light, there are going to be people who are automatically going to say, oh, he's a fringe NBA player. And I know that. It's true. Uh, there's a reason that the Sixers basically said, we want to cut ties with you. And his free agent market was so cold that they were able to sign him back on a minimum contract. That said, I thought he played pretty well over those I guess, I guess it was three games. I, I have not seen his most recent games if he has played in, I think they call it, uh, I think it's like the group classification. Basically, they, they did not qualify out of the first round. They got knocked out after three games. One of those was a very memorable close call against the U.S. that Furkan's teammates, not him, choked away at the free throw line at the end of the game. I mean, they missed four free throws in a row. Pretty bad. Uh, he scored really well. In all of these games and he came off the bench, but 
it seemed like he played most of the game coming off the bench. And, you know, it's not, there's a few NBA players on the team. There's Chetty Osman. There is our, our friend Ursan still taking charges for that team. They, they have a few guys, but it's not a particularly deep or, you know, it's not a very good team to just be frank. He, uh, he scored well. And that's kind of what our criticism has been is that he just doesn't make enough shots for the Sixers. You know, he shot 32%. I think you, you had the stat. It's, it's over what, 147 attempts over two years. So we're not talking yeah. about a lot of, uh, attempts. And I, I think the first thing you, you see when you watch Furkan play is that it looks like he should be a better shooter than he is or has been in the NBA. His his shot, and he's got this thing. I remember you talked about it a lot last year. The He had a couple of those shots where he, he basically catches it at his shoulders and doesn't dip it at all. Just goes right up with it. It's the uh, it's the Chase Utley of, of three-point yes. shots when he can do it. It's just very compact and efficient. Um. Yeah, so he played well. I think his I think he was averaging 14 points a game on might have been like 48, 42, 80 splits, pretty efficient. Showed some nice hops in a couple of those games. One of those games is against Japan, not exactly a, a great team, but he uh it, he I don't think he was the the problem for Turkey uh in in their loss to the Czech Republic, which basically knocked them out. And you know, it's funny. He really didn't do a lot else to help them win. But I'm watching those games and sitting there, and I'm thinking, well, he didn't do a lot for them to win, but but or besides score, but that's all he would need to do for the Sixers. They have the guys who can defend and rebound and pass and all of those things. So really, I mean, if he can be the type of scorer who can go off and you know maybe carry a team for about three or four minutes, that would really be fine for the Sixers. I'm not sure he'll be able to do it in the NBA. And again, I, I don't think he has a very well-rounded game outside of that, but I, I do think he played pretty well over these couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, he had 16 in that game against USA, did not play down the stretch in that fourth quarter uh, as a, like you alluded to, choked away the game with the missed free throws, had another 16 point performance against the Czech Republic and actually started the final game against Montenegro, which was probably his worst game of the tournament. Uh, but overall, he did make shots, you know, three for six from three against USA, three from six the following game. You know, like you said, you're not looking for him to be, I mean, it would be great if he were an elite defender, but I think we all have to be realistic here. That would be like asking Ben Simmons to come out and be a 40% three-point shooter. It's just not within the realm of possibilities. But if he can come out there and make shots, move the ball when he doesn't have anything other than a shot. And, it, I mean, it's really about making shots. Like, yeah. is he ever going to be a good defender? No. I think he actually has, like, semi-quick hands, which he could at least provide value on defense, even if he's overall a huge net negative, and with his foot speed, he will always be a net negative. He's long enough, too, where his size can can mitigate at least some of the more drastic weaknesses, too. If he can make shots, he can be a 15th man on an NBA roster. Is it a great endorsement? No, but it, he, he would have a role where if a couple people get injured, he can come in there and, and play. They used him not in the same way that the Sixers used Redick, but they had some cuts and and kind of split actions where they would use him off movement. And you know, it, it's funny when you're talking about a shooter, and, and I'm I'm thinking, wow, he he could really become a more valuable player if he was able to shoot off movement. But he just has to shoot in general first. Yeah. And you know, it's the, he's been here for two years, 
but it's fairly common for European players to take a year to adjust to the extra foot and a half of the NBA three-point line. But he's got to do it, and, you know, he said it in the piece, but we're talking about someone who the team had made an investment in him, a first-round pick, and that that luster is now gone along with the financial commitment. So, you know, again, it's like you said, I think he is probably 14th or 15th on the – terms of importance on the NBA roster, but hey, guys get hurt during the season. The Sixers hopefully are going to use some some discretion in terms of load management. So so there might be a few chances here and there, you know, and maybe it's a back to back and and Furkan becomes the ninth man because somebody's out and somebody's resting. But yeah, not obviously not going to make or break the Sixers season, but it, he did play pretty well. He also played pretty, this was an exhibition game, I think. Uh, I think he had 25 points against Giannis in Greece and wasn't like he was scoring on Giannis. I don't want to say that, but, uh, had, had a couple of really nice plays in that game too. He just, yeah. And, and the problem is he's just, his handle is not quite as advanced as you need it to be. The, the Turks run some pick and rolls for him. He, He's an okay passer. He, he's just not consistently elite or anything. He'll he'll surprise you with a nice skip pass to the other side. He loves to throw those behind the back passes, just in the middle of nowhere as well. But yeah, again, we're, I think we're talking about a fairly limited guy, but still still fairly young. I think he's twenty two, um, and, and he played pretty well. So credit to him for that. Yep. And I, I, I do think he's going to eventually make shots. Yep. Like I think he, I think he has a form. I think he, they worked with him to, uh, shorten up that shooting motion a little bit during his rookie season. There might be a little bit of adjustment going on there. There might just be an, uh, an adjustment to the, you know, further distance, that foot and a half you referenced to the speed. But I think he's got the natural stroke where he is going to make shots in the NBA. Now, whether or not that is at a 42% clip or whether that is at a 36% clip, could ultimately determine whether or not he's playable even in the regular season, and that's going to be key. But I do think he is going to I, – I don't think he's going to be a non-shooter, and I think he – you know, I think he has a chance to be an upper 30% shooter. The question is whether or not that's enough to overcome every other weakness he has. He's he's had some tough injury luck over the past couple has, of years, too. He has. He also – I mean, he he's needed to eat a cheeseburger since he's gotten in the NBA – because he can just get bumped off of his spot so easily um, and, and, and can't play through contact. And I'm not sure I really see that changing, but that is obviously the other key. He said he gained 40 okay. pounds since he got here at exit interviews. Okay. I, mean, I didn't see it, but okay. I I see it a little that's, bit. He was so a, skinny when he got here. 40 but, pounds is a big number, though. I don't – Well, it's, uh, And it's like you said. It's not exactly helping him. Yeah. No. We're, not, we're not seeing the, uh, you know, the, the results from – those cheeseburgers, but yep, more cheeseburgers. <laughs> All right, let's take a break from our podcast to talk about this week's sponsor, betonline.ag. Deshaun Jackson lifted the Eagles to an opening week, come from behind win with a 154-yard, two-touchdown performance. If you had the over on him, you're pretty happy right now. Should you take the over on DJax next week? I don't know, but I do know that if you would want to, you should head on over to betonline.ag. To celebrate another NFL season, BetOnline.ag and CLNS Media are giving you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Head on over to BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device to join today and use promo code CLNS50 to receive your welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines this football season. Get into all the action with BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. 
Please see BetOnline.ag's general rules for additional terms and conditions. A minimum deposit of $55 is required to qualify for the bonus. All right, moving on to other topics. You know, we have training camp coming up in a couple of weeks, um, probably a little over three weeks. I think it's probably going to be right around the last day or two of September where it begins. So we, we still have some time. And training camp has gotten smaller and smaller as, you know, they sort of extended the regular season so they could get rid of some back-to-backs and, you know, help rectify that condensed schedule a little bit. So we, we have a little bit less of training camp and a little more preseason. So there's not a whole lot to take away. And, and quite frankly, you know, back, I want to say like five years ago, you used to go to Stockton and you would see multiple scrimmages. And that doesn't really happen anymore. Like a lot of times now we see shooting drills and we'll get like one scrimmage maybe and maybe one open practice or maybe just one open practice or one open scrimmage. It changes year to year, but we'll see something that should be live basketball, hopefully. So can you gain a lot from training camp? No, not really. You're going to gain cliches and people talking about being in the best shape of their lives, career best fitness. Everybody's in great shape when basketball season starts. And we'll see a lot of shooting drills. So it is limited, but I do think we'll have some opportunities for some initial impressions. So I guess we'll start off. Don't, what? don't videotape the wrong shooting drills, by the oh, way, too. Yes. Our, our good, old, good, good, good friend Sarah Todd learned that one. Anyway, going back to training camp. You know, I think obviously, and this is why people subscribe to us, we'll focus on Ben Simmons jump shot. And that is the most obvious statement I will ever make. But it's true. You know, I think a lot of people have been watching the Instagram videos. I think a lot of people then have questions how that's going to translate both against NBA defenses. And I know he's playing against NBA players in a lot of these scrimmages, but against, you know, teams that are really focused on executing defensive schemes like they will be even in training camp. But also just like where his confidence level is in it, what the other samples look like when he takes those shots. Um, what, what, what do the, the bad misses look like? How frequently are the good shots in there mixed in with the bad shots? We'll have all, a whole bunch of new information, hopefully, if he comes out and he shoots in this five on five scrimmage that they may or may not have, even if he shoots in shooting drills that they typically have. Hopefully that will be the first indication of what kind of progress he has made with Chris Johnson and everyone else he's working with over the summer. That'll be important. And that's a very easy thing to track is sh- shooting. I'm pretty interested to see what the offense looks like. Hopefully we do get a couple of those scrimmages. Just want to see what they're doing. Are they, are they running the exact same stuff? Are they, you know, where is Horford playing? Uh, is Josh Richardson kind of in the same exact role as Redick? And, and like you said, we used to get, I would say, what do you think? Like 40 minute scrimmages, maybe 40 minutes of scrimmaging sometimes at, uh, at Stockton. I will, uh, I will say I, I'll trade that for not having oh, to God, drive yes. down the shore. It's uh it's nice to just be in in Camden. But yeah, they're they're obviously not going to show a ton, but I, I would like to see a little uh yeah, just just what what it looks like because th- there's going to be such a uh such an interest in how these pieces fit together on the offensive end and and hopefully we'll get to see some of that. But yeah, is there anything else in training? I mean, obviously you want to see what Simmons shot looks like. I think how Embiid is moving is always something that'll be interesting. I would imagine it'll be fine, and you know, it seems like he's worked pretty hard on his body this off season. Although he's been fairly quiet on social media, but you've seen some pictures of him, and it's 
you know, it looks like he's, he's pretty cut and he's, he's been working hard in that way. Yeah. But besides that, I don't really, I don't know what else we can get from training camp. The good news is that training camp is only a few days and then we go right into preseason games. And unlike the NFL, the Sixers actually play their players in preseason games. Yes. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, with the offense, losing Reddick is, you know, that, that was a set and a two man game that they relied on pretty heavily. As, as we always say, with Brett says 92-92 with five minutes left, they will need to look for a new play and a new action to really go to when they, uh, when their offense is stalling and when, you know, they'll need something to go to when defenses aren't respecting Ben Simmons and they'll need something to go to when they want to get Joel Embiid an easy look. And how do they combat sort of all of that? And how do they integrate all of these new pieces? Um, you know, 40% of their starting lineup, two out of five people, a whole bunch of bench players, Losing, you know, the one guy who fit your your best player perfectly, there will be, you know, I think a lot of people, there will be a lot of focus on, I think, the defensive scheme too, and we'll get into that in a second, but there's a lot of uncertainty with the offense, and just kind of seeing, getting these first glimpses of how they'll approach that tactically uh, will be will be interesting. I guess, you know, obviously I think Joel Embiid, his conditioning is going to be a huge, there's going to be a lot of interest around that because it's so important. You know, I think as we've seen over the last, Two years, how Joel Embiid starts the season is almost irrelevant. How he finishes it is very yes. important. And he didn't finish last last season well, um, certainly offensively, and there's a lot of reasons for that between the knee and how infrequently he was playing and the illnesses he was battling in the playoffs and also Marcus Gasol, and you want to make sure you include that in there. But they need him at the top of his game when the games matter the most, and we'll get the first glimpse of that in training camp by seeing what kind of shape he is in and what kind of conditioning he is in. And like you said, he's been very quiet this off season in terms of he's maturing, man. talking about what he's been doing. Um, and I think we sometimes forget there was a time where you could train without posting it to Instagram. And we're sort of in this age of self-promotion, both with players and with trainers who want to showcase what they've been doing and not seeing that I think is different than the norm right now, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean he's not approaching this summer with the kind of urgency that he should be. I would, I would bet heavy money that he is. I'm sure he is, but it's, we just, we don't, we, you know, I think we want to see that and we want to see the fruits of that. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's like a thing of, it, it, my friend, my friends always have a joke where if somebody's posting on social media, it's, uh, if you went to the gym and you didn't take a picture of it, did it really happen? Right. We very much fall into that trap as fans and media nowadays. Like I said, we almost expect that, but the absence of that isn't proof of anything. So we'll see. I think that will be what a lot of people are looking at too, in in large part because of how important it is. But I also think the defensive scheme will be interesting too. You know, last last fall at this time, Brown was talking a lot about changes to the defensive scheme and, you know, keeping Embiid near the rim scheme to uh, you know allow their perimeter defenders to keep their man in front of them and you know he, he spent a lot of time talking about that and i think we didn't you know i think a, a, for a lot of the regular season that was frustrating to some as sort of these elite point guards carved them up a little bit and i think it started to show some results in the playoffs at least while Embiid was there to anchor it and then the three minutes a game he was off the floor were a disaster and hopefully that's not as big of a problem this year but I think we started to see them really dial it up in the postseason. But they're going, you know, basically into their third quote unquote defensive coordinator in three years now, going from Lloyd Pierce to Billy Lang. And now to, to Ime Udoku, does he change anything? 
you know, is he going to stick with what Brown and Billy Lang set in place last year? Is he going to try to carry over what he was doing with the Spurs? You know, are they going to change because some of their defensive personnel are different than it was last year? Like, will they, will they be, how, how much will they be tinkering that and what kind of, you know, scheme changes will they be bringing with them into camp? So that, that will also be our first indication there. I could see poor Billy Lang taking some flack if the Sixers defense is awesome and people just, you know, it's one of the narratives. Wow. Thank God they got rid of him and, and Ime Udoka is a savior while also maybe not pointing out that they added Al Horford and Josh, Josh Richardson, Richardson and, and, yeah. and some good defensive players off the and bench too. Yeah. Maybe no. Zaire and Matisse too, who, who pop. Yeah. I, I just think the general newness of the team will make this training camp fun. I like take Milwaukee for example. I feel like the reporters and the fans covering that team they after last year I think they know what it's going to look like. They have their system. They the everybody knows their roles. Giannis is comfortable. I'm sure there's some excitement for them, you know, how good can Giannis get? I'm sure he can certainly get better. Although I I got to say it's a little weird that he's not as good in FIBA play. Uh that that's just an aside. Don't worry about that. But I, I remember, you know, people were saying, you know, the U.S. was going to, we're going to lose to, uh, to Giannis. And I remember Dario and Bogdanovich just giving him the smackdown a few years ago in FIBA play. Maybe it's his teammates. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's a little easier to play point. off of, yeah, yeah. like, and, and, and use somebody's lack of spacing and perimeter game against him. It would be interesting to see how Ben would fare with those kind of rules in that style of play. But I think that does hurt Giannis too. He probably will next year too when he plays in the Olympics as long as he's healthy. Uh, just the general newness of the team though, compared to somebody like Milwaukee, we, we want to see what it looks like. And well, I, I think that's probably the case for a lot of places around the NBA now with all the player movement and, you know, all the new pieces to see how they fit. Um, yeah. So I, so I'm excited to see that. It, just, just with Joel too, I'm almost more interested to see or to hear him. What's the plan going to be for this year? Are, are you going to commit? to yeah. load management early this season? Do you have any idea what that's going to look like? Do you, you know, are you going to continue? I thought at the end of last year, we talked about at exit interviews, everything he said to me sounded great. He, he seemed, and again, there, there were only words, but it seemed like he checked every box in terms of what you wanted to hear. He knew where he was uh, coming up short and what he needed to do to get to that next super, super elite level. So yeah, I, I want to hear what he has to say. And I think I'm also pretty intrigued too. What, what do, uh, Zaire and Matisse look like? Those are the two new guys. I think a lot of fans have, uh, high expectations for them. They, they certainly showed pretty well at summer league. How do they fit in with all the veterans now? It is weird though with those, and I agree with you. Um, in part because I think adding to what really could be playmaking defensive players is exciting. But I also, there's almost like a, a, a feeling of, I sort of know who those guys are as players more than I typically do players who really haven't played in the NBA. Like, I feel like they have pretty defined skill sets and pretty defined roles. You never and know. Questions... One of them, one of them could forget how to shoot. <laughs> oh God. I was, I, was, I thought you were going to go optimistic in, in, in Zaire. I think Zaire's got the more, you know, in terms of upward trajectory, I think yeah. he has the more where he could just one day look like a completely different player. But I also feel like for this season coming in, I sort of, I feel like I know what to expect. And certainly with Matisse, I think he has pretty defined strengths and weaknesses where if either of those two just make shots, then I think they're going to, to be playable. And I think they're going to add something unique and interesting to the team. 
Um, so I, I agree with you. I think they're, it's, it's exciting to have young players who you believe in, but it's also like, I just, I, I feel like I generally have a sense of what I'm going to see from them on a basketball court. Whereas with some young players, you don't know, which is both a good, uh, you know, positive and a negative. Yeah. Uh, what else? I think, you know, the rotations, like who's the first point guard off the bench? Who's the big, are they going to put Horford at center? Are they going to? Bring in Mike Scott. You're not going to learn that so much in the training camp, but you'll learn like, you know, you'll learn, you'll learn sort of what five man groupings Brown might like. Um, well, there's some of that. Where does Kylo Quinn fit in? Yeah. As well. I think, you know, in terms of uh, regular season rotations, that that's one of the biggest questions, right? Is are, are they going to play Kylo Quinn a couple of minutes a game, even when Embiid and Horford are there to kind of limit Horford's minutes and, and Embiid's minutes as well? I don't know. But I certainly think uh he has had stretches where he's certainly playable in that role. Oh sure. Yep. And and, and I mean we've said this before. I expect when the playoffs come around and the rotations get shortened that it'll be it'll be Horford at center. Uh but in the regular season they might try to cons- you know, conserve Al a little bit, um, stretch their rotations, keep everyone fresh. And like you said, you don't really need to try out and test and evaluate Horford at center because you just kind of have confidence that it's going to work. So you'll want to get some minutes in there, almost just so those five-man units and those players can sort of get some comfort together. But I don't think you need to run it out there too much, which could factor into, you know, putting Kyle O'Quinn as a backup center and, and, and kind of keeping, keeping Al fresh. Yeah, and I mean, just Josh Richardson in general. Like, what can you do? He's improved so much every year he's been in the league. How much more can he improve this year? Uh, how much more can he add to his plate? Can he actually be that sort of, you know, secondary perimeter creator? Um, can he be that guy who you can rely on when maybe Ben Simmons has a tough matchup? And are you going to see much of that in training camp? No, probably not. Especially if they sort of keep like, like in these scrimmages, if they keep sort of the starters playing against or with each other and they don't mix it up too much. Um, like you said, you never know. Well, I mean, the one scrimmage is when we saw, um, what was it? It was Bayless playing like 10 feet off of Markel Fultz. And <laughs> yeah. like, Whoa. Um, that might actually be an issue. That's a great moment. I'm trying to yeah, think of another so one. Oh, we another have... one. Remember, remember Joel dunked on Nerlens really hard. Well, that um, wasn't even in, we weren't there for, that was in part of the closed off sections and the yeah. Sixers just tweeted that photo. And then we watched the, the scrimmage and Nerlens was actually kind of killing him. Yes. Yes. But. As it, that as, was, it, as it turned out, Joel is a little better than Nerlens. Well, know, I mean, I, we all knew that. Yeah. Uh, but that certainly, you know, whetted everyone's appetite. Because that was Joel's, I mean, obviously it was Joel's rookie season. He had never been able to take part in a training camp during his first two seasons. I'll tell you what, there was so much, on, on the one hand, I was very confident that if Joel ever got on the basketball court, he was going to be great. And, you know, you can go back and, there's two things I always remember. First of all, I, I I ranked him number one overall, even with the broken foot. And then you, I just remember you sitting on the sidelines one day watching him in like March in his either rookie or second season he was injured and just being like, if he's ever healthy, this thing's over. So there was a lot of confidence from both of us that he was going to be great, but you still just didn't know. Like you had confidence, but you wanted to see it. So like even just a picture, it was like a picture of Bigfoot and it was a yeah. ton of excitement. If we don't really have that this year, like we have a lot of intrigue because there's so much change. And it's, I, good, I, it's good intrigue. Now it's, now the intrigue is 
can this guy play at an MVP level as opposed right. to right. just below that? But also this is a team that is constantly in flux. Like you have your two franchise centerpieces and every piece around that changes pretty consistently. Like 40% of your starting lineup, your top two bench pieces just got here in February of last year. Most of your bench is revamped. You've got a new head defensive coach. Like there's just a lot, your, your, your primary sort of two man game is gone. Like there's just so much change that this team has year over year over year to build around these two centerpieces that you sort of hope that this is the start of building some consistency and building a real identity around them, that there's a different kind of intrigue around this. And maybe not the same level of pure excitement, but there's that sort of nervous tension of expectations mixed with hope that I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a fun, a fun fall for this team. Oh yeah. I, I, I think they're going to be obviously pretty good. Just like, from from the jump, I, I know some people are predicting sixty plus wins. I, I'm not sure about that, but yeah, I, I do think even with the lack of continuity, the the defense is just going to be so good some nights where teams just won't be able to score on them, and that'll be you know that yep. that'll be consistent and that'll be fun. I uh, it's it, we said this a couple pods ago, but I, I do want to say I do want to say it again. Brett Brown's coaching job that he has to do just the, the intellectual challenge he is facing on a consistent basis. The puzzle is completely different every year for this guy. And, you know, like you said, hopefully they can get a little more consistency. So he has more time with these pieces because I look, it's, it's a better challenge than most people in the league. Most coaches in the league face because of all the talent he has, but it's also weirdly like configured talent. And, it's it's different every year, and at this time, you know, at the end of last season, he was basically just running pick and roll for Jimmy Butler and trying to make sure Tobias wasn't completely frozen out. And now he's got Al Horford and Josh Richardson. He's got to figure out what they can do. Yep, but like you said, there's also um, he's got, he's got a lot of tools to work with. A lot of tools. You know, it, it's it's one thing to get the 50 wins. It's another thing to get the NBA championship level. And I do think consistency helps there. Both consistency in a head coach and a scheme, but also consist- consistency in the pieces around them. So I think if you're a Sixers fan, f- forget Brett Brown and what's fair, but I think if you're a Sixers fan, you hope they come out and they make that run either deep into the conference finals or the finals. So there's not any kind of impetus. There's not any kind of, 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 you know, desire to make overarching changes either to the personnel or the coaching staff, because I do think the best way for this team to get to where they want to go is a little bit of consistency now. Um, I think familiarity will breed excellence, and we will see whether or not they're taking their first steps towards that pretty soon. Uh, so everybody, enjoy the beginning of football season, and we will talk to you soon about your local basketball club. See you, man.